Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. Today I have my old co-host from the morning show, Paul Gallant, who's been doing radio in Seattle for the last couple years. So he does a weekly show with Pete Carroll. He's been following Russell Wilson and the rest of that squad very closely. Had to get his opinion on what the hell is going on with Russell Wilson, how it relates to Deshaun Watson. And we also play a game of who's more disgruntled. If you like the show, please leave a review. Send me an email if you want any feedback to be heard. Seth.Payne at Entercom.com and enjoy the show. recording already i'm just gonna go i i don't do well with beginning so i just start right. recording from the very beginning and uh, and I, I texted you earlier because you're in the same position that we all in houston here were i in. know yeah with <laughs> disgruntled quarterbacks i thought just, i was free and here i am the team made the playoffs last year they win the nfc west and i am now looking at a drama Seth, between the head coach who has never had a losing record with Russell Wilson and a quarterback <laughs> in Russ who has asked for a lot, to be quite honest, over the last calendar year. Yeah, that's okay. This is this is what I need on the inside scoop here is how much of a right does Russell Wilson have to be disgruntled? Because the first thing that bothered me a little bit when he brought up the offensive line on the Dan Patrick show a couple of weeks ago is that, yeah, they haven't done a great job of retaining offensive linemen, but Russell Wilson is responsible for a lot of the hits that he takes, right? Yeah. He's responsible for, I would say a third to half of them. And if you really want to get a feel for how lost Russ looked at one point this year, go back to the game where they lost to the New York giants. And it's highlighted in that athletic piece that just came out on Thursday morning, if you add up the amount of times that Russ scrambled, that he was sacked and threw the football, there's this idea that the Seahawks offense got conservative in that game. The split was like 55 passes to 15 handoffs. Yeah, they actually <laughs> did a good job in that article. I, I think the perception was that all of a sudden, after those two games where Russell Wilson had seven turnovers, that all of a sudden the, the Seahawks just batted into the hatches right. and turned into like the 1964 
Green Bay Packers and ran the ball all the time, where they they actually were still extremely aggressive on first down, right? That that index they use on how early and often you're passing, they like they passed the ball pretty aggressively, much more than average. So they didn't they didn't completely go away from letting Russ cook. He just wasn't right. cooking that well. He wasn't cooking that well. And that's not all on him. I mean, the offensive line, if you watch them against the Rams, they were just overwhelmed. They, they had no yeah. answer for Aaron Donald. And I mean, you've played that position before. There are certain guys who are just unstoppable. I've played and, the Aaron Donald position. Yes, yeah. I've been that guy before. People have said, hey, who does Aaron Donald remind you of? Pretty much <laughs> Seth Payne. He's like a... Aaron Donald's a poor man's uh, Seth Payne in that in that aspect. But I mean, Aaron Donald's throwing guys to the side even when he's injured in that game. And then also yeah. Leonard Floyd, for whatever reason, has like seven sacks against the Seahawks this season. So, I mean, the offensive line could have been better, no doubt about it. And also, uh, you know, they have a new offensive coordinator now. Brian Schottenheimer, he had some good moments this year. And I remember, I think I told you and a bunch of and, and Landry and a bunch of other guys at 6'10", wow, Brian Schottenheimer's actually had a pretty good season. Yeah, right? you I'm, did. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> a month happened and things changed. And I think we ran out of magic with with Brian Schottenheimer. And I think the big problem was, Seth, if you, if you take a look at the way that Russ was going through his progressions, Russ got to a point where it looked like he was looking deep first and then looking intermediate and then short and then yeah. nothing was happening. They need to have somebody, and that's the hope with Shane Waldron. Good luck, man. I mean, I don't know if it's quite David Cully, but you're coming into this situation. He's going to have to be better finding and opening things up over the intermediate and um, over the short range as my cat jumps up on my couch in the background. And uh, yeah, that's that's going to be that's going to be tough. Um, it feels like a lot of pressure is on Shane Waldron because I, I don't know, Seth, what they do this offseason to really make the team better. You have a second round pick in the back of the second round. You yeah. don't have a first or a third and you don't have a whole lot of cap space either. Well, that's what I wonder about Russell Wilson is I understand these to break it down for the listeners that don't know. There was a rumor or there was a story, the tweet this morning that Russell Wilson had, had requested a trade. And there were four teams that he wanted to be traded to. His agent later clarified it and said, hey, we haven't requested a trade, but these are the four teams that we'd be amenable to a trade if it happened. It was the Bears, the Saints, the Raiders, and the Cowboys. Of those four teams, the Saints are the only one that make immediate sense to me. And and this, this does relate to not getting sacked as much. Drew Brees is a shorter quarterback whose coach, especially in recent years, has committed to the offensive line, has always committed to paying running backs, has always tried to do things to, to help the quarterback out, not necessarily in, by paying receivers, but by paying all those guys in front of them. Um, but what what is, what is it about the Bears, the Raiders, and the Cowboys that you think he likes? The Bears, I have no idea. You want to work with Matt Nagy? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that goes. Uh, the Cowboys, is it a prestige thing? Is it a profile thing? Because... If there's one word I don't want to hear again this offseason, and I'm sure I'm going to because it's only been a month, it's the word legacy. And Russ has brought up legacy a lot. So, uh, you know, you, you put the star on the side of your helmet. I, I don't know that it still has the same cachet that it used to, but, I mean, there is a show business that's going on in Dallas. Um, the Saints are an interesting one, but how do they create the cap space to put Russell's contract on the books? Aren't they like $100 oh, yeah. million dollars in They're debt? Ridiculously over the... Yeah. Right. So so the Saints make sense because, you, you know, one of, one of the things, Seth, that has been brought up a lot after the fact and specifically with the Super Bowl has been that Russ watched the game and he sees Tom Brady go to Tampa Bay and the Bucs are listening to Tom Brady. But that's just a really inaccurate depiction of what took place. If you look at the Bucs now and where they were 
at the beginning of last year and where they are now. The Bucks were always this trendy, oh, you know what? If they get it all together, pick for a long period of time because they are loaded with talent. Right. And now with Brady aboard, you see just how good all this blue chip talent is, whether it's on defense with Avante David or um, uh, Devin White or, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaquille Barrett, Vita Vea, and Dominican Sue is just hanging out there. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, shoot, even put Leonard Fournette in there if you really want to. I mean, that team's loaded with talent. So Russ maybe goes to the Saints. Okay, that's another team that's loaded with talent. And I think Russ is hoping that the Seahawks are going to be like, all right, well, we'll get you all the talent that you possibly need. But it's really hard to find yourself walking to a blue chip situation without many blue chips being given up. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that maybe Deshaun Watson's going to start finding in Houston is that, oh, the teams that are willing to – the, the teams that have good, uh, like uh, for especially this year, a high first round pick um, or cap space or assets to give for Deshaun Watson aren't necessarily going to be the best teams. The better teams and the good situations already have their guys that they need. I, and I guess in laying it out that way, is there a perception in Seattle, maybe more so than it is in Houston right now? Because in Houston, I think people, for the most part, like 80 to 85% every time we pull, side with Deshaun. They see they see that the front office has completely botched the Texans roster. Where with the Seahawks, it's not so clear that the front office has botched anything other than the way that Russell Wilson wants the, the team to be constructed. Do you sense a perception in Seattle that it's more about Russell just wanting to jump ship or just jump onto a better situation is as much as uh, like, different than perhaps Deshaun's situation. Yeah. It, it, to, to me, and, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but to me, he's coming off as a diva yeah. and he wants, he wants everything. He wants the world. And, and if you want to go through the list of demands that he's made over the last calendar year, um, at the Pro Bowl, he wanted a superstar. By the way, they got him a superstar. They traded two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. I feel like Russ is sort of ignoring the whole fact that there's a defense um, that's involved with you know winning championships. That's what won the Bucks the Super Bowl. He's got um, a freak of nature as a wide receiver too. That too. That 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 helps out as well. Um, it's like if he he looks like almost it. If he hadn't looked like that since the age he was 13, you'd almost think, like, well, there's no way this guy isn't on PEDs. Yeah. So they got him that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they, got, they got him in the second round. Metcalf, who's a, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, he upset it, that they only had to, they only used a second round pick on a freak of nature? It's a, it's, it's, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, look, to, to in his defense, I, I, I can't walk down the line and say, like, Russ is incorrect in, in who they've gone after on the offensive line. Like, they, they have done a poor job outside of the Dwayne Brown trade and the Damian Lewis in the third round out of LSU, who they got, who stepped in at right guard and did pretty well. And actually Brandon Shell, all things considered did pretty well. Like for the most part, the last decade, the, the Seahawks on the offensive line, it's been, it's been a lot of misses. Jermaine Effetti in the first round, you go all the way back to before Russell Wilson. There are some other guys that they brought in, in the first round on the offensive line. I think James Carpenter didn't work out so well either. So, I mean, they've tried, they've swung and missed a lot. And Russ's take is essentially, all right, well, be better, which is, of course, for anyone who is on Twitter, the most annoying thing that you can have to, as a response to your take will be better. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know, that's how I always feel when I If somebody says you're better than that, I can kind of take that. I, I almost take that as a compliment and somebody wants to help me. Yeah. But yeah, be better is rough. <laughs> be better. Be better is an annoying one. So um, as far as the split, as far as the uh, Q rating, it's it's closer to 50-50. You go online with the the militant nerds, yeah. Um, you're going to see a lot of people that are like, oh, well, Pete's holding Russ back. They're also going to say running backs don't matter, which is ironic here, given that 
the only time that the Seahawks have had good running backs is when their offense has been good, whether it's Chris Carson or it's Marshawn Lynch before. They don't they forget about 2017 when the Seahawks didn't have any running backs to speak of. And Russell Wilson, I think, had like the most rushing touchdowns on the team with one or something like that. It's, it's insane. I, you got to go back and look at the numbers. I, you know what? Honestly, that, that's where the, the problem with a lot of the stats is the same things going on now with, hey, defensive backs are more important than pass rushers. It's all individual. There's like there's the average, and then there's what matters in a specific situation. With the way Pete Carroll likes to run his offense, and the way he's just in this athletic piece, they really they really highlight just how how crazily old school he is. For being such a flaky weirdo conspiracy theory nut, he's also <laughs> very he he might as well have a crew cut. You know, he's very old school in his football philosophy. He, he is, and there's a part of me that loves it. And I'll be honest, like, there's a part of me, too, that since I talk with Pete Carroll every single Monday after the games, and we get to talk with him for 30 minutes, and and he answers questions that are even difficult ones well, and he usually just says, Paul, oh, you worry too much, Paul. And I'm like, all right. And Paul, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. But, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. Like, I'm, I, I think I'm a little biased towards Pete. But I also understand that without Russ, this team isn't relevant. And okay, what about... Part. What was the, the the one thing that came up in that article a couple times was the perception that Pete Carroll coddles Russell Wilson. Have, yeah. you, have you sensed that? That's the funny thing. You know, now, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter today between, I think it was first Jermaine Curse who tweeted out a GIF, which is, I think, the GIF that someone would put out, GIF, GIF, whatever, of when you're seeing something and you're just like, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, I know this, but I'm not going to say anything. So Jermaine Kearse put something out there. Doug Baldwin likes the tweet. Richard Sherman retweets it with a uh, emoji zipper on his mouth. Before I moved here, you know, when I was there with you, Seth, in Houston, we we read these articles about the Seahawks and we're like, Are you, why is everyone mad about Russ? It doesn't make any sense. Now that I'm here, I get it. I'm starting to get it. <laughs> well, especially the defensive players, right? Those veteran yeah. defensive players who you always kind of sense that they just wanted a quarterback who was more of a, a guy like or a dog or like just a normal. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I understand that side of it and, and this coddled side of things. I don't know that it exists necessarily anymore. And in Russell's mind, it clearly doesn't because Russell right. will be leaking these things or openly saying these things all of a sudden the way that he has this year. There is a part of me, and this is maybe a little bit, you know, we talked about Pete with conspiracy theories. This might be a little conspiracy theorist of me, but it does feel like Russ is trying to paint the way that the season ended in a way that reflects more positively on him. That reflects more positively on Russell Wilson. Right. Uh, yeah. And that was a, that were, there were a couple of quotes in that article, too, that said this is all about PR. This is all about Russell yeah, Wilson trying to be sure. Point. Well, and, and I wonder about that with Deshaun. As much as the, the front office has botched things, I think that this whole Jack Easterby stuff is just weird as hell, as you've been able to tell yeah. from afar. And everything. I've read it and I'm just amazed that this is what it's become. I yeah, mean, every, I thought, remember, remember when Bill O'Brien was the problem? Like, yeah. Little, yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost, it's amazing because sometimes we have to remind ourselves and others that, hey, by the way, O'Brien, yeah, O'Brien really screwed it up too. It was, it was yeah. both these guys. But I think that there's, um, I, Look, obviously there's dysfunction within the organization, but if I'm Deshaun Watson, at least part of it's got to be looking around and realizing, whoa, this is for real. Like me being a me having my best passing season ever didn't do anything. We went four and twelve. I didn't even realize this was possible. And then you look at the Texans don't have a first or a second round pick. They've got no cap space. 
the the future is not bright. He's got to be thinking about his legacy a little bit and what the hell am I going to do? But it's still, I feel like that's more adequate reason for alarm because this roster in Houston is just not nearly what the roster in Seattle is. It's just, right. yeah. So, so it's uh, that part of it, the PR side of it, I found fascinating when they started talking about his agency, the CAA, the agency that represents him and Sierra and how, this whole little blitz that he did at the end of the season and also that he did before he got his contract last year, two years ago, sounds so, it just sounds so coordinated. It just sounds a little too patent perfect, right? That he goes on the Dan Patrick show, all these other rumors start leaking. Like it's, whereas Deshaun, it feels very scattershot and you get the sense that maybe some reporters are just talking to buddies of his at times. This Russell Wilson thing seems like a coordinated attack. It is a coordinated attack, in my honest opinion. And, I mean, you know, Mark Rogers retweets the story. Or, excuse me, Mark Rogers didn't retweet it. But Adam Schefter tweets out, um, I guess, in response to it, like, there are a couple of teams that were mentioned in the trade. And Mark Rogers tells Adam Schefter, Mark Rogers is Russell's agent. For those who don't know, he has a baseball background, so he's a little bit more of a poo-poo-poo-poo, you know, uh, puncher, I would say, than more agents out there. And the relationship between the Seahawks and Russ were very strained during the last contract negotiations. Seemed like everything was fine. But Rogers, it's funny, tells Schefter, Russ didn't ask for a trade. And, and, you know, that part of the story probably came from the Seahawks side of things, that the Seahawks were approached with a couple of teams that he could go to. Russ didn't ask for a trade. But if he did ask for a trade, who? Here's Dallas, here's Chicago. Like, he's really quick with that. And I found that part of it interesting. So your your, um, gauge on this is, I think, correct in that it it has felt really coordinated. And it's funny with Russ, or excuse me, with Deshaun, Deshaun doesn't need to coordinate anything. You know, like it's the he's already right. He's already got public sentiment on his side. Right. He's everybody, got side. yeah, everybody realizes that this. I mean, every step along the way for the past two years, we've realized ever since ever since O'Brien and Easterby started making moves and roster decisions. Yeah. I you you've seen all of it. You followed mm-hmm. it along the way. All mm-hmm. right, I want to play a quick game with you. Cool. It's called Who's More Disgruntled. <laughs> kind of slash who's who's got a right to be more disgruntled between Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. So we'll start off with the basics. Who has actually demanded or requested a trade? That, as far as we know, is just Deshaun Watson at this Correct. Point, as it stands on Thursday, February 25th. Although for a long time, I, I kept saying, hey, everybody, Deshaun hasn't officially requested a trade. And then it came out, hey, by the way, yeah, it was like three weeks ago. He already requested a trade. So, right. all right, screw yourself. So we don't know. Uh, who has publicly, publicly named desired locations? Hmm. That is Russell Wilson. That's Russell Wilson. That game. Right. All kinds of rumors about where Deshaun wants to go or where, where he would wave the no trade clause. But Russell Wilson did the old, like, it was almost like, it's almost like you play that game with your wife where you get a pass, you know, like the one celebrity. If you were to say like, okay, that's great, but I want four. Give me four. (laughs) (laughs) It's all fun and games until, until you demand four instead of one. And maybe a couple of them are actually coworkers of yours. So, uh, but for for Deshaun, there's two at the very least that we think we know of, right? It's 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 the Jets and Dolphins. Is, the Jets is, and Dolphins, and the only person that's actually put their name on anything is Kareem Jackson, who said that in in conversation Denver. with Deshaun, Deshaun had said, "Sure, I'd be interested in going to to Denver." I I get the sense that all of these quote unquote favorites have been just when people have asked him, like, "Hey, what do you what do you think about the Jets?" 
cool. I'd like the Jets. Fine. I like Robert Sala. But that is one thing, by the way. Robert Sala was one of the coaches, and I've, I've, I'm very confident in this, uh, that I was told that he, Deshaun, really liked Robert Sala. And that's been oh, reported, gosh. but I feel very confident in all of that. So the fact the Texans didn't even interview Robert Sala, that was kind of a big deal. Uh, let's yeah. see. Uh, who has tweeted cryptic rap lyrics? I haven't kept up with I haven't kept up with Russell no, Westbrook's Russ. social media because it's nauseating, but he hasn't yeah. done anything cryptic. Did you see the one that he well he put out one today? So yeah, Deshaun, it's funny because they're all rap lyrics, but they're all well picked rap lyrics. And right. I, I think I even asked him once, like, so who is this from? And he actually responded. And I was like, Oh, you coy son of a gun. With Russ today, he posted a video of him working out. I believe, I believe, hang on a second. I'm going to look this up on my Twitter. Scooba doop doop wop, shibbity dop doop doop, scoop doobity doop, <laughs> all fuel. And it's him like on one leg doing mm. uh, all sorts of interesting workouts with his legs. Oh, yeah. And I retweeted it saying, uh, spilling gasoline is an inefficient way to create fuel because there's lots of gasoline that he has been spilling. Like, so I guess he's creating fuel <laughs> with the fuel that he's. That he's that's clever. Using? That's a little too clever for social media. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get nearly as many likes and retweets on that as you feel like you, you deserve. That's a, that that's a, that's when you suffer for your art. Sometimes you craft the perfect joke and you're like, How's this gonna, <laughs> it's only going to be received by one, two percent of my audience. Why but that's am I not okay. more stupid? <laughs> need to make that's, more. The most, that's the most awesome, humble brag I've ever done. Deshaun, this is the one I had to Google this to be sure, because that's what you have to do with Deshaun. Anytime he, he never gives any attribution to the rap lyrics you know no. you, you, so you got to google no. it first and find out if it's future or somebody else uh but today oh, he tweeted thanks. loyalty is everything don't you ever forget it ever in yeah, all caps i saw that today yeah and so his quarterbacks coach quincy avery was tweeting about russell wilson a couple times today so with so this is still cryptic mm -hmm. you don't know if deshaun's mm -hmm. talking about himself or talking about russell wilson or my personal theory, which is a complete guess, is that at some point he felt like Cal McNair showed, showed loyalty to somebody other than Deshaun, and that that's when all bets were off. Who knows? Uh, let's see. Question. I, I, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. So was Deshaun upset when O'Brien got canned? That's a rumor I've a heard. Really good question, and. I think that there's more of a possibility than of that than people probably would want to think or would think at first. Right, because it's because, everyone. I think everyone from afar is like, "Well, Brian's awful, so of course he wanted him gone." Yeah, I think this is the year that honestly Deshaun kind of really internalized and naturalized Bill O'Brien's offense. All the things that O'Brien wants a quarterback to do, which is really, really hard stuff. Just yeah. all these option routes, being able to change everything and change the plays, change the protection at the line of scrimmage. They put a lot on the quarterback's plate mentally. And there's just no way anybody, no matter how smart they are, is going to pick it up and naturalize that in just a couple of years. This was the year that it really took hold for Deshaun Watson. And I think he likes the scheme. I think he likes the system. And that's one of the reasons the Texans kept Tim Kelly. I think that if there had to be a battle between Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, a lot of guys, myself included, I mean, I, the, the day they fired Bill O'Brien, I just kept waiting for Jack Easterby to be, to be fired. I yeah. kept waiting for that shoe to drop. I don't know. I don't know what goes on with all the soap opera and all of those other things. I do think that 
I, I think that Deshaun, Deshaun came from Clemson, man. Like, think about the difference in culture between Clemson and then Bill O'Brien slash Jack Easterly whatever <laughs> yeah. the hell's going on. Yeah. So I don't know how much of that was Bill O'Brien per se. Maybe the, the environment itself was something that Deshaun Watson didn't like. But I also know that regardless of how he felt when Bill O'Brien was fired – Man, it really sounds like it degenerated after that. Yeah. And when nobody was truly in control, you have an interim head coach, you've got an interim GM who's not qualified, that I, I think whatever negative feelings people had about the organization as players, it just got amplified. Yeah, I could see that. You think Easterby would fit in with the Clemson culture too? I think this is the problem with Easterby. Easterby shouldn't have any authority or control. I think when he yeah. was in New England, I think he'd fit in great in Clemson as long as he didn't have authority or control. His role is to be a guy that you can talk to, you can counsel, maybe he helps you. You know, he's a great, he's a great consultant type of guy. And it sounds like every step he's been at along the way, including whether it's college or when he was an intern with the Jaguars, all that stuff, he kind of bounces around a lot and gives advice, you know, give you some motivational slogans and saying, but that's a whole lot different than actually making decisions and having yeah. control and power. And the big mistake the Texans made was they just they gave this motivational speaker the the keys to the car and it's and it was just really really weird. The selected clips that I have seen of him online yep. have been painful. I know though that they are selected and if you put a Seinfeld laugh track or the Seinfeld theme underneath it like uh, I believe Jacob Payne a Syracuse grad uh put up online made me <laughs> laugh very hard. But there's another part of me that's like he can't he can't possibly be this incompetent, you know? He's, like well, this is the problem is he, this is a, a complete like, hey, you can realize your dreams. Hey, you got to think outside the box and you can make it happen. That kind of guy. And, and his whole strategy seems to be because you've seen the clips. It's not like he's good in front of a crowd. It's yeah. not like he's somebody that can stand up in front of a room and just win the day, you know. But what he's really good at is creating individual relationships. with One-on-ones. And it, and it is so crazy, Paul. Every time we ask any of these guys whom he's affected, whether it's Bill O'Brien, Nick Casario, or Cal McNair, when we ask him, hey, what is Jack Easterby good at? What does he do in the organization? They can't answer it. It's, it's bizarre. They'll say, mm. <laughs> they'll say like, okay, what is Jack Easterby good at? Boy, he's just, he's just good at so many things, and he's just got a great way of relating to people. And but He's helped me out through a bunch, a bunch of stuff. Like, okay, Vanessa Richardson here in Houston, the TV anchor, asked specifically, could you please tell us specifically what Jack Easterby does? Good job, Vanessa. No answer. No answer. <laughs> it was it was crazy. She did <laughs> yeah, she did a really good job with it. Um, all right, I gotta let you go because you got a whole bunch of stuff. Real quick though, I wanna I wanted to get at least a couple health questions out of you. Oh, cool. I try to wrap each one of these up with something with either like mental or physical health. Oh gosh. How many carbs did you have yesterday? As far as overall grams, um, I did have a Rice Krispie treat yesterday. Oh, so you're, you're currently on a low-carb cycle. Very low-carb cycle. Very low-carb, okay. Yeah, so so uh, so actually, check that. Um, uh, what I've been doing recently is, uh, and you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a health nut. I haven't worked yeah. out a whole lot in the last week, and I'm mad at myself for that because, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm trying to balance work life and and, I don't know, me life, but I haven't done a very good job with it. And I've done even worse stuff over the last week when I've been more focused on it. But every morning I have, I, I over the weekend, I cook these protein pancakes. 
Um, so those have, I would say like probably like 14 grams of carbs in them. I have about a third of a cup of oatmeal with uh, blueberries every morning as well. And then if you add in the rice krispie treat, I would probably say, I don't know. I, I I've had enough carbs where like, I'm, I'm not feeling like I am just downing a bunch of, uh, like a loaf of bread or anything like that. Right, like, right. Just like a, a healthy low, low, low amount. Like yeah. low, but not super low, but, but not also zero. not. Really, not okay. Yeah, I'm not ketoing or anything. Are you, yeah, I, okay. I, this is what I've done in the last few weeks. Is I've just said, you know what? Screw, I'm going back to like actual athlete carb standards. And I've been taking in like 400, 500 grams a day. And oh. I feel phenomenal. Yeah, dude, I, it's, it's like good. every time I exercise, I'm just like, oh, this is awesome. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I used to have a lot of bread. Yeah. I, I miss bread. My big problem with carbs is that I can't, I can't do just a little. I have can't to regulate. That's the problem. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, for those who have seen me on social media, like if you give me a box of cookies, I'll eat it and I'll eat it by the time I get home. Yeah, like, yeah. Like five minutes in a car, I'll just wolf them all down and then I'll puke. <laughs> That's the, well, the biggest thing that low carb does for you, or I mean, it does lots of things for you. And, like, and honestly, I'm not anti low carb or pro low carb. Everybody's different. Everybody's not individual, especially for people like for football lot. players. There's people that I, there's there's a lot of evidence that being on low carb can perhaps stave off dementia or, or oh. um you know or neurological uh issues um well certainly just having your blood sugar in control and you don't have to go low carb to do that but low carb is like a really efficient way to get your blood sugar into control um but i uh i yeah i'm not i'm not too i can't even remember what i was going to ask you the other question i wanted to ask you was are you doing any group fitness have you gotten back into that at uh, all? i don't know I what the restrictions a, are well i played basketball last saturday uh I actually have inserts in my shoes now. Uh, orthotics? My, yeah, orthotics, yeah. Middle-aged yeah. old man. Uh, yeah. No, know, that makes a big man. difference. They're, they're I know, good. man. It's, uh, my knees still kind of hurt. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I haven't worked out. So what, what I had been doing was um, uh, I go, uh, my gym is open. I live across the street from a gym. Again, it's an awesome gym. Um, and what they have is they have, you have to schedule in advance, like 45 minute sessions. You can do double sessions now, which is like, cool. you're allowed to go into the gym for 45 minutes or the, yeah. the, okay. And, and they clean up afterwards. It's really fancy. This is, this is a super nice gym and it's great that it's right across the street, but that's the reason I'm doing it. Cause obviously yeah. being a cheapo, I generally would look for the cheaper option. But, um, so I go there and I try to go five to six days a week for the weightliftings and do it. I, I've been bad the last week I haven't gone. Um, but I also try and again, bad last week I've been bad. I was really good for a month, but my knees are hurting. I've been trying to run 14 miles a week. Oh, um, wow in addition to doing the working out lifting stuff. But there's a part of me that is now trying to figure out, okay, so the work side of things, you're always going to be a psychopath and overprepare. The off the uh, working out side of things, you're always going to be a psychopath because you think that you can still have a six pack and that's going to apparently get you the hottest wife of all time. Yeah, and yeah. And you need to it's in between where you actually have some sort of a social life. So finding a social life during the week is actually my priority right now, but uh, I am working out. Are you doing, uh, you've always been good with time management and everything. I would tell you to be better about time management, but that that, that would be very hypocritical of me. You know what though? The, the, the worst part of my time management is the managing the amount of time that I sleep. So I, I don't nap anymore because I find when I get up from a nap, I'm groggy and grumpy. Yeah. Uh, problem is finding a way to, you know, you know this as doing the morning show, the trick is trying to find a time when you can go to bed. And I've been trying this week, like the biggest priority, which I, as I make a million priorities has been 
if I can get to bed on time, then I will wake up on time and everything in between will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. But actually going to bed on time is really hard, especially when the Seahawks keep on doing this stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. In the business we're in too, a lot of a lot of stuff happens at 11 p.m. So it's hard uh, it's hard to wake up and get ready for it. I'm gonna, you know what I'll do? I'll send you a spreadsheet. I've been working. It. I read the book Habits, and a lot of our listen, a lot of my listeners know this. Uh, but this book Habits by oh, what's the guy's name? James Clear, Jim Clear. I'll buy it. You make it's, good book recommendations. It's um. It's made a big difference in my life. So I keep a spreadsheet now of like daily habits. So I just have, I've got seven things I need to do every day. And I feel like those put me on the right path, both in the short term and the long term. James Clear is his name. James Clear. Got it. Run habits, down. habits by James Clear. And it, you know, like it rehashes a lot of other things. I, I don't know, all the different habit books that are out there. There's some really famous ones. But what people have said, this, this book's more actionable. It doesn't just give you a lot of theories and motivational stuff. It's actually anti he He says, look, motivation is so overrated. It's, it's really about all the things you do when you don't feel motivated. Yeah. And, and, and it gives you kind of a, pa- a plan for how to create these habits. Huh. Like it, like an actual spreadsheet for how to create the habits, how to reward yourself every time you do it. So you create doing something for, if you do something for two minutes a day, like you can check it off the box because it's all about creating that habit. And like, like if you, if you ran for five minutes or worked out for five minutes, you check off the box. Cause over time what happens is, and this is what's happened to me now. I started off just kind of on a whim thinking, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to ride my stationary bike every morning for a week. And I kind of started grilling it into the my spreadsheet. I can I can't not ride my bike in the morning anymore. Like I'll be up at four a.m. and feel just like absolute ass because I had to like same thing. I couldn't go to bed early or something. And and like by four thirty a.m., it's like I like something takes over. I just walk into the I walk into the garage and start riding the bike. It's just it's completely automatic. And you do it just for thirty minutes. There are never days where you're like nah pass hard pass on this no i'm not because it's always i always have the option if i did five minutes i would check it off the box but once you do five minutes it's it almost always just it turns into 30 you know yeah Yeah. my my plan and i and i i did this once this week it's i do a set amount of push-ups on these like little push-up things and i like try to do like four sets i've I've been over ambitious as always but like four sets of 20 on these like little push-up things I have a pull-up bar and a chin-up bar, which I was using during the pandemic because we didn't have any gyms. And I do like pull-ups and I do chin-ups. And then I have this ab machine too. So I'm trying to do all that in the morning because I figure if I get the blood flowing, at the very least, I'll be less of a grumpy a- <laughs> early on in the day. Oh, wait, I'm not, I'm not allowed to swear anymore, by the way. That's all. Oh, you're not. <laughs> Why yeah. did you get caught swearing? Uh, no, no, no. It's just different, different company, different standards. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> You know what? I almost went the whole time without it. So, uh, Do you, you want know, me to bleep that out? You could. That'd be great. I okay. I'll figure it out. I'm learning skill. I've got editing skills kind of now. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm learning stuff. All right, buddy. I'll let you get going. I know you got it, but I was going through this a couple weeks ago with Deshaun. You're going to be on 18 different cities in the next two days. Uh, I know. <laughs> Kansas City already, and uh, I think Las Vegas later today. We'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, for, thanks man. Always Have a, a good one. I love you, and uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right, bud. Peace.